Welcome to Testers Island Discs, your most musical guide to software testing. My name's Neil Studd, and I'll be your castaway companion. Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of Testers Island Discs, where today I'm talking to Drew Pontikis. Drew is a test leader and quality coach who's worked with some big name companies in the east of England, including with myself in the past. He's an organiser for the Ministry of Testing in Cambridge and helped to found the Ministry of Testing Peterborough meetup group. And in his spare time, he's an F1 fan who spends almost as much time watching films as I do. Welcome to the podcast, Drew. Hi, thanks for having me. It's been quite a year. Obviously, 2020 has had its challenges for everybody, but I mean, it's hit you in uh, as many ways as most, I think. Yeah, it's it's been a long, hard year. I think, um, yeah, we've uh, had a um, pause on a lot of meetups because obviously it's been harder to get together. Uh, I unfortunately lost my job in the summer, so I've been out of work, but um Things have uh, things are starting to pick up. Hopefully, by the time this goes out, I should have started my new job, and uh, I'm starting to think about 2021 and some uh, think about what meetups we can do then. A few episodes ago, when I had my uh, episode where I handed back over from Mark Winteringham, uh, we had a bit of discussion about obviously with the whole furlough scheme and the whole economy. It was fairly clear that for whatever reason, things might be changing for a lot of people. Once you found out that you were going to need to find yourself a, a new job, what was kind of your your thought process you went through? You know, did you have an action plan that you stepped into, or did you you know take a bit of a break, have a think, and then and then plow on? Uh, it's I wouldn't like to call it an action plan as such, but <laughs> um, yeah, I was I sat down one morning and I wrote down a big list of all the places that I thought of companies who I think they sound like cool places to work and. Uh, might have an interesting challenge or an interesting problem space to be in and then rang them up and said hi I'm uh, I'm going to be out of work and I'd really like to come and work for you Uh, after that you know obviously that doesn't necessarily work every time so I then just sort of hit the job boards and I'm I'm glad I'm glad I'm not going to be looking at Indeed every day I have to say. (laughs) In that same episode with Mark I I did say there I noticed a few people on on LinkedIn who had the little you know available for work icon suddenly appear who who would surprise me Uh, you're certainly one of the people I thought of so I'm delighted to to find that you've got something working out and we're going to talk a bit more about meetups later on as well. I saw on Twitter that there's the sprouts of some ministry of testing Peterborough activity happening again. Yeah I am the the reason that suddenly started happening is I um, had to hand back my business phone when I left and it's taken me this long to remember what all the passwords are for the meetup accounts. So <laughs> that's why we're starting now. But, um. <laughs> well, I suppose the one good thing about the downtime you've had in between is it does let you get back into your, your hobby of films. Uh, I've noticed you, you've got quite an active account on Letterboxd like myself and uh, I noticed you do seem to have certainly favourite genres, but the other thing that seems to jump out is... You don't half watch a lot of bad films. Do you choose them on purpose or is that just the way it falls? No, I've just got terrible taste in movies. <laughs> I think I think the, gem, the the genres that I like, I think the two big ones are I like shark movies and I like found footage horror films. And I think they tend to be disproportionately rubbish, if I'm honest. There's only a few really good ones, but I'm eternally hopeful when I see a new one pop up that it might be good, particularly with found footage uh, films, because they're so easy to make. A lot of people have a go, and sometimes they they don't take a lot to be good, but they also don't take a lot to turn into a bit of a crap fest. 
yeah, I do enjoy a good found footage film. Even like, like you say, when they even when they're terrible, like the unfriended films, uh, where they're all like on a Skype call, are good fun. There was a uh, a film that came out in 2020. It's one of these ones where they recorded it during lockdown to take advantage of it. A film called Host, which I've not seen yet. It's about a group of friends who gather on uh, Zoom to do like a seance type thing. Um, uh, it's got a really good review from Empire, so I'm looking forward to checking that one out. I assume it's one of these ones that's going to come straight to VOD because there's not a lot of cinemas around. If it's the one that I think it is, I, I haven't seen it yet, and it's because it's on a um, uh, a horror a, a new horror streaming service called Shudder. Shudder, yeah. yes, it is. It's I'm one. not subscribed to that yet, but I think that's that's widely regarded as the best one. So yeah, mm. it's on my list of things I'd like to watch. Cool. I'll try and check that out. But uh, enough about films. We should really talk about music, which is one of the reasons you're here. As much as I'd like to let you bring five films to the island, we don't actually have a TV. So uh, we've got a CD player, MP3 player, cassette player, whatever you want to play five songs that you can bring to the island with you, which best represents uh, the, the music that means the most to you. What's the first one you brought with you? Okay, so first song uh, I should say first is I am a massive Beatles fan, and my first song is not the best Beatles song, but it's just it's my favourite. And uh, the reason it's my favourite is because I like to hear a story, and Paul McCartney is, as far as I'm concerned, the greatest musical storyteller. And when you listen to this song, you can see and hear and feel every step as he goes along. Um, and what it also does, is it reminds me of being nine years old when I was forced to be in a school choir that I didn't want to be there. And we were being taught the words to various different Beatles songs. And I remember the music teacher sort of saying with one particular line saying, oh, uh, this bit, it doesn't really work. It, uh, it doesn't really make sense. Just don't don't worry about it too much. Try not to think about it. And it's only when I relatively recently as an adult, it was because she was trying to fudge out a line, which was a bit rude. So um, <laughs> it has fond memories for me. So uh, song number one is Penny Lane by the Beatles. That was the Beatles with Penny Lane, the second Beatles track in a row. Angela picked a song in the last episode as well. It's a track that I've got very fond memories of as well. We used to sing it at school. Um, we used to have an assemb- a singing assembly and they put the sl- uh, the words to each song up on an overhead projector, all handwritten lyrics. And I remember specifically in Penny Lane, there's the line where it says she feels as if she's wasting away. And they'd written wasting really wrong. So it looked like washing. And what it meant was everyone would always sing Wasting. Like whenever I hear that song, I want to say it feels as if she's wasting away because that's how the kids used to sing it. <laughs> uh, clearly, there was a quality issue with that and those acetates, um, which brings us on to talking about quality, which is what we do on the podcast. Again, kind of carrying on from Angela's episode, we spoke when we talk about building your QA infrastructure about how you want to try and get a quality culture going within your organization. Drew, what experiences have you got of trying to develop quality culture within a company? Okay, so... In terms of uh, trying to develop culture, and in particular quality culture, when we're at a company, is um, trying to make sure that what, as a team or as a company or a department or wherever you are, what the focus is, 
is what defines your culture as far as I'm concerned. And for me, a quality culture is when you turn from uh, being a team that's just trying to deliver something as fast as possible or trying to deliver as much as possible to becoming a team that's trying to deliver something with quality in mind and delivering a product that your customers actually want. Um, it's, it's quite easy to say because we talk about quality and quality naturally people think of testing it's quite easy to think that um, a quality culture is dependent on testers and getting them involved early and helping them to form requirements but it's really not enough in the in the modern day i don't think mm. um, for me the whole team really needs to care about delivering the right thing over delivering something um, we need product uh, sorry we need programmers to understand and care about testing their code we need product owners to understand and really welcome questions and challenges in the requirements to get them so you know during the refinement process the team as a whole uh, needs to constant uh, needs to care and concentrate on how the products and the features perform when they actually get into the customer's hands um from my side of things um are my focus when I join when I join a team or when I work with a team is just trying to bring these things out into discussion and get people talking about them find out what the objections are play you know a great place to start when you have when you join a team is to is to just put something out there you know my normal you know somewhere I would like to talk about is TestSphere for example you know we all we're all familiar with TestSphere cards now you know it's always exciting when you suggest TestSphere to someone and they go oh yeah we tried that it doesn't work here and then that's the you know that's the key question that you want because you say okay well why is that and that leads you to the barriers to to having your quality culture and those are the things that you start to break down now it may be that once you've broken those barriers down um you know the thing that you originally suggested is not the is not the solution it might not be but you're you helps you find the problem if you like so that's um that's probably where i you know it's the kind of place i'd start when uh, looking at quality culture. Yeah, so many of us work within agile development teams these days, although I'm aware that obviously I'm operating in something of an echo chamber in that I circulate amongst people who do work in that way. But the whole idea of agile is that everyone should be collaborative and take ownership for everybody. Um, there's a, a real team ownership. Getting quality onto the radar in the first place can be the challenge. It's good that you've suggested, you know, drilling down into why doesn't this work as a reason for that. But from my own experience, it can get harder as companies grow larger. Like you say, if you're the only tester within the team or you're within quite a small squad, it's quite ideal. It's quite easy to circulate ideas amongst that team. When you get larger and larger and larger, that can get harder. I mean, I, I look, for example, at my own organization where we work in what we call verticals. But in some ways, that's kind of a euphemism for silos, which is the problem yeah. to getting uh, cross-pollination going. How can you help to break down barriers when you're, you know, you're not talking to people on a day-to-day -day basis and you really want to get a real company-wide sense of culture? Yeah, I mean, I I completely agree with what you say. I mean, as the larger your company gets, it does get harder. It's not impossible, obviously, because you know there's many companies who are out there doing it successfully. But yeah, it does get a lot harder, and it's just because there's so many more points of failure. And I like to, you know, I like to think about it that as a um, as a company, you will have many leaders 
uh, within that company. You'll have uh, senior managers, you'll have VPs, you'll have associate directors, directors. The larger the company you get, the more of these people you have who have deliverables of their own, they have their own targets. And the more that they, you know, all it takes is one of those um, people in those positions to focus on their own thing. So they might think, okay, well, our focus today is we need to get this stuff done and we need to get it out the door. And it starts to steer your culture away from where you want it to be. So it can be a real problem. What is good uh, in that, in sorry, when as you scale and as you get bigger is you have that many more people there who you can learn from and that you can get together with and you can share good ideas and new, exciting, different things that you've not heard before. And, um, it's one of the reasons that I really love talking about and getting involved in communities of practice is because it lets uh, large groups of people in large companies um, take advantage of the uh, take advantage of their scale, if you like. I think you're doing my job for me. You mentioned communities of practice. We're going to move on to talk about that in the next section. But first of all, Drew, let's hear about your second song selection. Okay, so uh, song number two is uh, Fake Tales of San Francisco by the Arctic Monkeys. And I chose this for a similar reason to choosing Penny Lane, actually. Uh, I like to be told stories. And this song just paints such a clear and vivid image of the scene that you're that they're singing about. And you can just sort of see and feel every detail of it. And um, I remember way back when uh, work, when I first moved to Peterborough, working in a call centre, I didn't have a car, so I used to bus to work, and I used to listen to uh, whatever people say I am. That's what I'm not every day on my iPod, and um, yeah, I just love this song. So yeah. That was Fake Tales of San Francisco by the Arctic Monkeys. And before that, Drew was introducing us to the idea of communities of practice. For those who haven't heard of the term, Drew, can you tell us what a community of practice is? So a community of practice is basically, uh, it's a way of getting of focusing on learning and development and getting better at what you do and share you know talking to people and sharing your passions that you have um it's uh perhaps different to what many people might have experienced in you know throughout their career things like you know they're often called like team meetings you know if you're a tester they might be your qa monthly meetings and things like that um they might be um, staging zones and things like that where people come together and they talk about that, but they're less formal uh, to my mind, at least. And their, con- their focus is on growth, not about um, the, not necessarily about the work that you're doing. Yeah, they can be known by different names in different companies. We have at Money Supermarket, we have guilds, which again, we have a testing guild. And the thing about a community of practice is, although it may be focused on testing, it doesn't necessarily need to be limited to just testers who attend. It's about the art of testing. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that um, I've always thought is important, and it's not as quite as cut and dried as you think, is um, whenever I've worked with a community of practice, it's been open to 
anybody who has an interest in that subject and you know not only you know you would hope that not only testers would care about quality that they would care about test techniques and things like that um in the same way that if you're involved in an agile community of practice you know it won't just be uh scrum masters or agile practitioners who are interested in going to it it will be anybody who's interested or wants to learn and develop and be part of that community and I mean, they're, they're called a community of practice and, and the word practice is really important in that. I found it really valuable for junior testers or people who want to sort of spread their wings a bit to actually, for example, try presenting a session at a community of practice. And that can then lead on to conference talks or, you know, speaking to the outside world about what it is that you do and, and furthering your career in that way. If you are working in a company that doesn't have a community of practice and you, you, know, you want to say to people, hey, wouldn't it be great if we get together and talk about testing more often? How can you begin to introduce one of those within your company? Is that something that needs to happen from top down or can you can you push upwards? So top down, I think they don't have to be led top down, but they don't have to not be led top down, if that makes sense. So I think the most important thing for any community or any um, community of practice to come together and to flourish is you need to have a passion and it has to be a shared passion that um you have someone who is excited about a subject and they've there's somebody there who is also excited about that subject and you can come together and you can and you can share what you're interested in and you can talk about it um and that enthusiasm brings other people together as well you know i've you know from uh times way back when in previous jobs i have um uh in some roles i've had very little support from the actual business or the management in the team but about doing something like this because it takes away from actually doing the work um but it doesn't stop me doing it you know i still go and do it i just do it without their support you know and that's where it grows and that's where people come together now i've been very fortunate in recent years to work for companies who uh, are really supportive of that and do recognize the value in doing these kind of things and make time and uh, you know are prepared to stump up a bit of a resource towards it you know actually support people to do that you know I agree with what you say about getting junior testers and um, involved in communities of practice because it's basically just a way of helping someone feel like they belong to uh, belong to their craft, if you like, rather than it just be a job or rather than be something that they're learning out of a textbook. It's access to all this knowledge and experience that's been built up that is just shared and brought into, you know, and helps accelerate their learning as well. Yeah, again, the word practice has the same origin as practical. You know, this is you can attend with your colleagues and, and find things that can actually uh, change your, your way of working at, you know, an exchange of ideas, as it were. Uh, I mentioned the silos that I experience sometimes in, in organizations. And the more people come together, um, the quicker you can break those silos down and discover that, you know, people who work at the same level of you have already solved these problems or they've got ideas that, that you can maybe uh, maybe harness. Yeah, absolutely. I think silos is the big world. And certainly Emily Webber, is sort of my my the go-to guru if you like when it comes to talking about communities of practice but she talks about um how as we've moved to an agile way of working it's led to the creations of silos because um if you are as if you are focused in a 
in a, a vertical team or a multidisciplinary team, you are focused on your product and delivering your product and delivering a quality product, which is great because that's what you want to do. That's what you're there in. That's what you're in business to do. But you are, um, by doing that, you can often find yourself, if you, so you're, say, the only tester on the team, you can find yourself feeling quite isolated by that. And uh, it's quite hard if you're the only person who thinks like you do or the only person who um, is approaching a problem like you do. And mm-hmm. communities of practice really fill that gap quite nicely and they can help uh someone in team a over on one side of the business who's had this problem uh, that they don't know how to solve find a solution that's going on somewhere else in the business and um actually have a support network around them that they don't really know is there to help implement a change or help fix a problem or solve a problem that they're having yeah i think communities of practice can absolutely be a massively positive thing we're going to go on to talk a bit more about the perils and pitfalls associated with trying to develop your quality culture within a company after we hear your third song which i think comes from your horror influences slightly uh yes it does a little bit yeah so my third song is the ghostbusters theme tune by ray parker jr and again i chose this for two reasons uh number one for many years this has been kind of the hold music that's going on in my brain when I'm not thinking about something else it's just playing in the background I don't know why but it just is um the second reason is that my secret passion is ghosts and the paranormal and I'm just obsessed with it and it's not because I believe in ghosts I mean I mean just to be clear there's no such thing as ghosts uh but because when someone thinks they've seen a ghost, there's obviously something that's happened and they can't, it can't immediately be explained. And I think that appeals to the tester inside me to try and want to know why that is and what it is and try and find work out what the explain, explanation is. Um, I love watching YouTube compilations of ghosts caught on camera and trying to work out how they've been faked or, uh, or what it is that we're actually seeing. Um, to the extent that the first time I actually spoke at a meetup was at the digital people in peterborough meetup and my talk was about ghost hunting in the digital age and uh was talking about the equipment that was used and why it was flawed so yeah it's uh it's, it's always in my brain this song There's something strange in your neighborhood who you gonna call That was the theme from Ghostbusters by Ray Parker Jr. We haven't had enough song soundtrack uh, songs on this podcast, you know. We need, we need we need more. We need to start a special film spin-off. Dan Billing and I recorded an episode of Screen Testing, which was specifically about soundtracks. It's sitting in the vaults waiting to be edited because we realized we referenced about 50 songs and we'd have to edit 50 songs into it. It's like the episode is timeless, but it's gonna it takes forever to uh, edit that one together. So after spending so long talking about improving quality culture and developing your community of practice, let's talk a bit about some of the challenges associated with that. Number one, again, I spoke about this a bit with Angela. It, when you're trying to improve quality culture and saying, hey, it'd be really great if we could meet and do this thing once a week or you know, with some regularity, but everyone else has so many other things to do with their day. How can you get the benefit of developing that culture without seeming like you're being a burden on people? Okay. So, yeah, I mean, 
there it's it's very rare that you'll find someone who has got plenty of time spare in their day where they can just come and uh just drop out for a couple of hours or an hour or so i think what um what kind of kickstarts uh something in terms of focusing on improvement and uh continuous personal improvement is actually making that kind of that change a priority you know we've all you know we all hear the phrase you know um, if you stand still, you're going backwards, but it's so easy just to forget about it yourself because it's, you know, it's, it falls down your list of priorities. And I see it as, you know, wherever I've been or whatever community I've worked with, I've seen it as important for me to encourage people to understand that how important it is to their own personal development to actually take time out of their day. I remember a, um, uh, a, person I was doing some coaching with and she she said that she would um she never had time to do any like personal development during the day um so she at the end of the day she'd go home uh she'd get the kids in bed and she would um once she'd done all you know tidied up after dinner and stuff then she'd sit down and she'd do some work you know do some do some learning and I said what sort of time are you doing that? And she said, oh, normally by the time I've sat down to do something, it's like half past nine, 10 o'clock at night. I said, I bet you're knackered at that sort of time. It's not a great time to be learning, is it? You know, you know, you're, you know, learning is important. If you, you know, if you ever read a job description these days, they all say, we, you know, we expect you to learn. We want to support you with your training, you know, hold them to it you know, say, okay, I need to take an hour out of my day. If you find yourself in a position where you just don't feel like you can, or there's too much work and you can't, the next team meeting or the next retrospective you have, I would encourage you just to be honest with your team and say, I wanted to do this, or I wanted to go to this community session. I wanted to do this course, dial into this webinar, whatever, but I didn't feel like I could because I didn't feel like I could uh, step away from my work or I didn't feel like I could stop and leave you guys working and guarantee a hundred percent of the time the, that the team will support you the next time you want to do something because nobody wants people in their team to feel like that and if they do perhaps it's time to change teams yeah, yeah. Uh, i can yeah speak about that from experience with with a, an eight-month-old child here mm-hmm. uh, and obviously working at home during lockdown i i have my typical day is i work i finish work i'm on childcare duty that finishes uh, and then i have a choice between doing personal development or going to sleep and that's not a choice anyone should have to make and like you said yeah it's important for if your company recognizes the need for you to have that time um and yeah embraces the development of, of quality within a company then doing that during the day and at an allotted time or for a given amount of time a week is really valuable. Uh, it reminds me of um, that it's quite often cited. There's, there was a, a police commissioner in New York who um, subscribed to what he called the broken windows theory, mm-hmm. which is the idea that if you fix the really trivial problems like your broken windows, you know, you make the area look nice, then all the other things that come associated with that, like you know, public drunkenness and stuff, people people are, are more keen to just look after the area because they see all the basic th- things are working, so they shouldn't you know make it that much worse. Uh, I think we should do the same with quality. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Obviously, a lot of these things can be a bit idealistic. And in a COVID world where so many of us are working remotely, does, does this get so much harder when you can't have face-to-face discussions? Uh, I, I, do you know what? I think it does, yeah. I think personal development is it's really, really hard at the moment. Certainly for me, I found it really hard. And I think a lot of it is because 
you find yourself in the same medium all the time. You know, as part of the reason I found it really hard to um, organize any meetups or uh, or even, you know, even to the extent we just pause them is it's hard to not feel like it's just another meeting if you're using the same format. You know, it's just another Zoom call. It's just another Teams meeting. You know, it's you know, it's hard to motivate yourself for things like that. So, yeah, it's, you know, it's not impossible, uh, but it's, you know, it's definitely harder. And we'll talk a bit more about some more of those remote challenges in the final section after we hear song number four today. Okay, so uh, song number four is Knights of Sidonia by Muse. Uh, For me, it's the best Muse song without question. And Muse come from my spiritual and ancestral hometown of Timmouth, South Devon. I discovered Muse when I was in sixth form and I remember listening to Origin of Symmetry for the first time and just being hooked from the first time I heard them. Um, when I, back when I used to play guitar, I used to always just wish I could be as good as Matt Bellamy. And yeah, of just of all their songs, this one is just the best. No one's That was the epic Knights of Sidonia by Muse. Now, Drew, earlier we spoke about your involvement uh, with the various Ministry of Testing meetups, uh, not just the one in Cambridge, but you actually helped to um, found the Ministry of Testing Peterborough meetup from scratch, um, which at the time was my home meetup. What prompted you to do that? Uh, right. Well, so, like so many things, um, it came from me running my fat mouth in front of the wrong people, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I um, at the time, I always wanted to learn and I wanted to what I wanted really is I wanted to bring the people I wanted to learn from to me and to share, you know, and sort of share that experience with other people. And I went, it was at the time I was at the BGL group and I was talking with our director and um, we were talking about our community of practice, our internal one. And I said something like, it'd be great if we could do an external meetup and we could invite more people to it. And he went, fine, go on then do it. And I thought, okay, (laughs) Right, I've I've overstepped myself here, but um, you know the the condition that he gave me though, he said, "We'll uh, I'll sponsor it, I'll pay for everything. The only condition I've got is I had to do a talk at the first one, mm-hmm. and at the time, you know, I'd done maybe one public speaking <laughs> session, you know, outside, yeah. you know, for you know, outside of work, for in front of real people, you know. So I was very nervous about that. So I went out and found the the coolest person I could find in the community who would. Oh, who, who, who was that? Who uh, was that? I, I think it was you. Think, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think you came and did your talk from uh, your test best Philadelphia talk, didn't you? And uh, um, uh, then I think I put you on first, and then immediately regretted it because you were really good. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, it kept growing from there. Yeah, the Ministry of Testing obviously have, have a massive um, involvement in supporting local meetups. Uh, to be honest, I've just pulled up the site to try and count how many meetups there are. I can't count. You have to sit here and listen to me it would be ridiculous. I, I'm looking at the list. I'm thinking 70 or 80 cities around the world maybe now have uh, ministry themed meetups. Um, so if you're interested in, in founding one in an area that doesn't have one, um, do go onto the Ministry of Testing website. I'll put a link in the show notes to how you can find out more about that. Um, talking about things that don't necessarily relate to any particular cities, what 
were there challenges you came across on the way that perhaps you um, hadn't expected or became a real headache? Uh, so I suppose the, the challenges thing is dealing with problems I'd not really dealt before. So I think the, the big thing that I found most difficult was around um, when people don't turn up. Actually, mm. I think it was the hardest thing to deal with because you you know you you forget what you are like and stuff comes up. You know the kids are ill, dinner runs a bit late, you've had a bad day at work, you forget and you forget that that happens in people's daily lives. But when you're organised an event and you've sorted everything out, you've got food in, you've got a speaker who's travelled to come and do it, and then like seven or eight people turn up. You know, it's, you know, it, you know, it used to really bother me and I used to get, you know, I'd be upset for days about it, you know, if it hadn't gone perfectly and things like that. And obviously it hits, it hits people hardest when they put the most effort in. So for example, you know, if you've made sure that you've catered for really well for X number of people and you get half X, uh, I remember one meetup I once went to where we had two pizzas per attendee. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've been to that. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, I feel embarrassed for you know the the speaker that's come and do it, you know, because I've been a speaker and so have you. You know, it's mm. you know, you know, there is an enjoyment and excitement from doing that, and I feel bad for you know, we've had speakers travel you know across the country to come and talk at meetups, and you want to actually give them something to say they've enjoyed it, you know, but and you you know nobody really wants to be presenting to a half empty room, and re- really the the person who gave me the best advice on that was actually Lee Rathbone because I had a, a conversation with him about it after a particularly rubbish meetup and I think it was one of these where like five or six people had turned up Mm -hmm. and uh, he said what you know what do you want to get out of this you know do you want to do a meetup where 50 people turn up but 10 people take away something of value to them or do you want to do a meetup where 10 people turn up and all of them take away something that's going to change their life and you think actually yeah the numbers aren't actually important anymore it's actually what you're doing and you know you you know that kind of really flipped my mentality of things and you know I really owe a lot to him for having that conversation. Yeah, the numbers game is a difficult one to solve. I mean, some people have tried by, for example, introducing like a nominal fee or something, but then you're just cutting people off at the source in the first place. I suppose it's one of the good things about our COVID world is not just that it's it's opened meetup groups uh, to have a lot more speakers available to them because anyone could drop it from anywhere. But ditto, when you're streaming online, then whether there are 10 people or 100 people or 500 people doesn't affect necessarily budgetary things. The Ministry of Testing Peterborough is now looking to move online as well. What plans have you got coming up for that? Well, we as I'm sort of in early stages of planning for having a meetup in uh, sort of mid-January. Um, I think for the first one, I think it's the first one that I've done in probably about a year truth be told so i'm just gonna probably go a little bit safe with it and just say someone you know a speaker who knows what they're doing and uh, can just come come along and just you know turn up and get on with it straight away um i think for i think what i'd planned to do over the course of 2020 before obviously we ended up all covidy is I wanted to i wanted to get more workshops running i wanted to actually start changing the meter rather than just having two speakers and pizza having it to be something where you would turn up you would learn something that you could take to work the next day and change the way you were doing things at work so um i'm looking for you know looking for perhaps people who've got 
a workshop that they want to try out, that they want to share, or even somebody who's just new and has never done anything like this before and would like somewhere where they're safe and supported to just come and have a go and try out in front of an audience for a change. So, um, yeah, lots of lots of plans for the coming year. Cool. And we'll make sure we obviously we include your uh, contact details in the description and we'll, we'll mention them in the outro as well for anyone who wants to get in touch and, and do some speaking. I'm still yet to break my COVID remote speaking duck. I really, really want to do it. Like I say, with uh, my current childcare situation, it's so up in the air that um, I need to, to get into a bit more of a routine with my life before I, I can definitely say that, you know, between the hours of X and Y, I will be available for this. But um, yeah, there, there are opportunities there. And uh, um, as much as I hope we all get back together soon, um, it's interesting to hear that there's stuff going on. Oh, I'd love to hear from you when you decide you do want to. <laughs> Tell you what, I'll make, make a promise now. Uh, by the beginning of February, I will announce to you uh, that I have something and you've heard it here on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's a commitment. <laughs> Uh, the final commitment you've got music-wise on this podcast, that was a smooth link. That was, that was smooth. <laughs> yeah. Here we go with song selection number five. Okay, so song number five is uh, Welcome to the Black Parade by My Chemical Romance. Uh, there's no real story behind this one. Um, I just really like it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, sometimes that's all you need. Yep. <laughs> he said, will you? Defeat them, you demons, and all the non-believers, the plans that they have made. Because one day, I'll leave you, a phantom, to lead you in the summer, to join the Black Parade. That was My Chemical Romance with Welcome to the Black Parade, rounding out Drew's five song selections on the desert island. One more thing you can bring in your bucket, basket, whatever it is that you've used to transport these things off the island. A basket would be a bad idea. It would leak everywhere. <laughs> but in your um, waterproof bucket of joy is one book that you can bring with you. What would you like to bring? Okay, so my book is... Uh... All the Birds in the Sky by Charlie Jane Anders. Uh, as I've said several times throughout this, I love stories, and this is by far and away my favourite story. Uh, it's about a girl called Patricia who one day discovers that she's a witch and she can talk to animals, and a boy called Lawrence who is a genius and he builds a time machine. And the story is about them growing up and how they end up trying to stop each other from preventing and causing the end of the world. And I just love it. And I've read it several times now. I've lent copies to people, forgotten who I've lent it to and just gone out and bought another one. I, as a, I just love it. And I would need it with me. Fantastic. It sounds like the perfect bit of escapism for anyone who's fed up with 2020, which is probably most of us uh, as we round the year out. <laughs> That book will be added to the selection that's listed on our Goodreads group and Drew's song selections will be on the Spotify playlist. Both of those are linked in the show notes. And this is the bit where we say what's coming up. Well, thankfully, we can say 2020 is behind us. 2021, um, any hopes and dreams? Uh, so my, my hope for 2021 is uh, I want to start getting back to doing some of the things that I enjoy. So I want to get back into uh doing you know hosting some meetups i'd like to i'd like to at least write a new talk for this year and get something uh, out there and um i think 2020 we were going to be 
hosting the the Cambridgeshire testing conference, which we had to stop and pause. So I'm hoping that that can come back for 2021 and we can get that launched. Well, I think we can all agree that we're looking forward to 2021 as we, as we round out the year. Uh, thank you very much to everyone who's been listening to the podcast of the year. And thank you to everyone who's got in touch and said that uh, during these quiet times, it's been a, a refuge for them to listen to the podcast. I'm so glad to have it helped. And uh, everyone's going to be having a very strange festive period, I'm sure, um, whatever your religion or beliefs. Um, I hope you get through it all in one piece and um, look forward to see you all next year. If you'd like to be on the podcast, there's a link in the show notes to find out how to do that. And you can reach us on Twitter at Tessas Island and I'm at Neil Studd. And I will see you all in 2021. Thank you very much for joining us, Drew. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And I'll speak to you all next month. Bye. Tessas Island Discs is brought to you by Ministry of Testing, written and produced by Neil Studd. Theme music by Green Day. Follow us on Twitter at Testers Island.